Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. All right, well, we are in a series um, on the life of David called Step by Step, David's Journey with God. And thank you, Lu- uh, Lucas, for what you shared. I, I, I feel like in, in so many ways, um, it just speaks of some of the same things that we uh, discover in David's story. And so thank you for sharing your story with us. But David's story is probably the longest narrative that you'll find in scripture about a single character. Um, His story takes 66 chapters in the Bible for comparison's sake. Abraham's story is 14 chapters. Joseph's story is 13 chapters. Moses' story, 40 chapters. He's mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. David's story is a crucial part of scripture. But his story is not sanitized. The Bible doesn't make him look prettier than he is or more holy than he is. It is very real. In fact, David is complex. At times, you will love David. He will inspire you with his faith and courage. Other times, you'll see his dark sin. He will (laughs) deeply disappoint you. The point is, is that... um, As you look at David's story, you see that we serve a God who's present every step of the way in whatever season we are in, and that as we look at David's story, we'll see the faithfulness of God. We will tremble before God. We will encounter the grace of God. And in doing so, we'll realize that God is the hero, not David. Amen? Well, um, I grew up periodically playing video games. Anybody video gamers out there? Okay, so, um, so I grew up in a different age. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I, my brother and I, I had a brother who's two years older than me, and this new thing came out called the Nintendo. And they had them at KB Toy Stores, which are, is now bankrupt, I think. But, but my brother and I were like, we are going to save our money, and we're going to buy a Nintendo and the Nintendo was 100 bucks, and our allowance was $2 a week, so that's $4 a week combined. You can put it together. It took us about six months to get the game, okay, or to get the console. And then it came with two games, Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, okay? Those were the two games we had. Well, well we weren't so, you know, so keen on Duck Hunt, and we didn't have enough money to go to Radio Shack to buy another game, so we played a lot of Super Mario Brothers. And, and I mean, Super Mario Brothers, I actually have a picture. This is what it looked like. This is, uh, that is Super Mario Brothers. Okay, that was as fine as it got. I mean, we thought it was awesome. You could like bust a brick with a bare hand, just boom, you know, just bust, bust the brick, <laughs> right? If you squatted down for long enough, you could jump really high. Or if you ate a mushroom, you could grow three times your size. Or if you picked a flower, you had firepower, you know. <laughs> You could warp. It was amazing. There, they had warp zones. Yeah, warp, yeah, you could warp. Okay, so the the issue is the only thing the game could do was run right, jump, or run <laughs> run left if you needed to go backwards. Everything was in two D, right? I mean, that's that is as good as it got right there. You jump over those little guys, hit, hit the mushroom. Okay. And then my kids now play video games. They play this game called Fortnite. All right? And when I look at this thing, 
I can't make sense of it. Like it's confusing to me because every, I mean, these people look like people. The creatures look like creatures. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're not like, they don't look like they belong on a piece of paper running like this. They're three, I mean, you can turn around and look behind you. You can swing things. You know, I mean, I'm like, good. I, it's disorienting for me. Okay, you don't understand this, but if you grew up with two-dimensional games, the three-dimensional games are disorienting. Because here's what you learn. That one dimension changes everything. (laughs) Come on now. Someone's going to preach in here. (laughs) All right. The extra dimension is a game changer. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story uh, that where we're going to see David walks into a situation and he is living in 3D when everybody else is living in 2D. And that extra dimension changes the game for David and will change the game for you. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. So if you can go ahead and turn there, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, you can get one in the back for free. I am, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, so I'm going to put the verses up on the screen. I don't normally do that because I don't want to discourage you from bringing your Bible, but tonight I'm going to throw you a bone, okay? Um, give you a little firepower. Um, anyways, so I have the verses up there. Please bring your Bible each week so you can follow along as well. Okay. This is a story that everyone is familiar with. Even if they didn't grow up in church, they've heard this. However, this story has been a great encouragement to me this week and has been very fresh for me this week. And hopefully this is going to come out. Okay, so last week we looked at what God sees. And today we're going to come face to face with what do we see, okay? And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. This is the classic David and Goliath story. But let me set the scene for you, and hopefully I can bring it alive and have you look at it maybe a way you've never looked at it before. Here's here's the story. The Philistines are on one side of a hill, the uh, Israelites on another side of the hill, and in between is this massive valley called the Valley of Elah. And, and so they are looking at each other, getting ready to go to battle against each other. And the Philistines challenged them to something that was not uncommon in that day. It was called representative combat. And what representative combat is, is that you would find somebody who was on your team, from your nation, of your people, who would go to battle on your behalf. And then the other group would find somebody who would represent them and go to battle on their behalf. And here's what would happen. If your guy won, then you won, and you got the victory for that battle, and the other people got the consequences of the loss. Does that make sense? Instead of shedding needless blood, they would just have two people go to battle, but everything would be riding for the future of their nation on that battle. And so the Philistines, who have been a a source of um, rivalry and and tension for Israel, challenged them to this um, representative combat. And we're going to start in verse 4. 
And we get a description of this man by the name of Goliath. And I'm just going to read it. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is about 125 pounds on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is about 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Okay. You guys have heard stories about how tall Goliath was. I mean, uh, what we have here, six cubits in a span, would have been over nine feet tall. Now, there is some discrepancy. People aren't for sure what the original autographs of the Hebrew text said, okay? Just to put it out there. Because there are Greek versions of the Old Testament that, were, that predate Jesus by a couple hundred years that had him still really tall, but not quite that tall. And there's Hebrew manuscripts, the same thing. So we know that he was a mountain of a man, exactly how tall, we don't know. By the way, there are a couple moments like that in the scriptures that, um, where we're not for sure exactly what the original autograph says. But here's what I can assure you of any of those moments, none of them, change the meaning, the doctrine, or the story of the Bible. And there is no place where anything about the story of Scripture would be compromised if it was A or B. Are you guys following me? It could just have been a scribal error. We're not sure. But we do know this. He was big enough to carry 125 pounds of armor on him and a 15-pound tip on his spear. He was a mountain of a man. He was a champion fighter who'd been a champion since, his, since a youth and no one wanted to go to battle with this mountain of a man who had his own shield bearer, by the way, okay? And what the author is doing, he gives us a lot of te- details because he wants you to, to feel how invincible and how overwhelming and overpowering Goliath was to the people of Israel. Okay, now verse eight. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, I will become your sub- we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Verse 10, then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. On the next slide, I I put two terms that, that Goliath himself uses to refer to the Israelite army. Are you not servants of Saul? And then this day I defy the armies of Israel. And here's the thing. What he says is true, but it isn't all of the truth. It's missing a dimension. And and, and what does it say was the ramification that at the end of it, it says, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And when you are missing the dimension that this whole story turns on, you will end up in this 2D perspective that leads to discouragement, fear, and anxiety. Just like them, dismayed. And fearful. Let's keep reading. It says this. Okay, by the way, in the midst of this, Jesse, they've been doing this for days and days and days, up to 40 days. 
And Jesse sends his son David to check on his three big brothers who are, who are supposed to be out there battling the Philistines, find out how things are going. And so early in the morning, verse 20, David left the flock in his care because he's not big enough to even go to battle. He's still at home watching the sheep. He loaded up and set out with the cheese and food as Jesse had directed him. When he reached the camp, as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. So so they're like, okay, let's go get them, you know, shouting the war cry. I've always found this hilarious since I was in college. And because what comes next, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left the things with the keepers of He's like, this is getting ready to go down. This is going to be awesome. They're shouting their war cry, right? He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw it, they fled in great fear. Like, oh no, he's still here. Like, I just, they go out with their war cry, and they're, oh, back home, you know, back to the dens. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. We've got some cheese we can eat, see how that does. And David is totally mystified by this. It's like, what are you guys doing? Skip to verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? How he comes out to defy Israel? Stop there for just a second. He says, he comes out to defy Israel. Here's what I want you to notice. They have accepted the identity that Saul had been speaking to. You're the armies of Israel. Now he's defying Israel. Okay, so they're still seeing it in this 2D perspective. And then it says this, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. And you're like, well, that's not a big deal. It's because you haven't paid me taxes yet, okay? That's a big deal. <laughs> Anybody's paying, you know that's a big deal. Get a wife and no taxes and money. I'm like, okay. It's like, huh? How big is he? Anyways, <laughs> Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? He's like, can you say that again? And then listen to what David says. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Okay, thank you, Gabriel. That's right. Keep talking to me, bro. Here's the point. Do you know those are the very first words that David says in the entire Bible? And do you know that that's the first time God is mentioned in this entire chapter? The whole time they're going to battle, they're going out with their war cries, and then Goliath comes out, and then they go back in their fear and their dismay over and over again, but God is never mentioned. And when David says this, who is this unsubstantial? Uh, uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God. That's the first time God enters the center of the situation. That's the first time he is mentioned. And the story goes from 2D to 3D. It goes from black and white to technicolor because David brings in the third dimension that changes everything. He brings the variable into the equation that changes the whole equation. He takes it to a whole, he reframes the whole battle. When he sees Goliath, 
He doesn't see a giant. He sees an uncircumcised Philistine. You say, well, why does he say that? Because it's saying he's not one of God's people. He's not circumcised. He's a Philistine. He serves pagan gods. He doesn't serve the living God. See, here's the deal. They saw somebody who was invulnerable. David saw someone who was uncircumcised. Who is this pagan coming against the living God? Because he didn't see it man against man. He saw somebody who's dishonoring the living God. And if you dishonor the living God, then you're going against the living God. That's how David understood. Are you following me? This was a three-dimensional reality. And then he says, who is this that defies the armies of the living God? He doesn't say defies the army of Saul, the servants of Saul, or the armies of Israel. He didn't see himself that way. He saw himself as now a part of the armies of the living God. He couldn't see it without God right in the center. Let me give you a term for this. David saw the world theocentrically. He had a theocentric lens that he saw the world through. He couldn't look at the situation without seeing it through the lens of his God who is great and glorious and and good and gracious. And so when he saw the situation, he saw it through a theocentric lens and it changed everything. He saw Goliath through a theocentric lens. He saw himself through a theocentric lens. He um, He saw the armies of Israel through a theocentric lens. He saw the whole world through a theocentric lens and that that theocentric lens impacted everything in his life. And I want to submit to us, this is my big point for tonight. I don't have a lot to say, but here's my big point for tonight. We need to have a theocentric lens by which we look at our lives and we look at the world. And when we do, it changes everything. How many times... Do we sing about the goodness and greatness of God? Like, he's the same God. He's the same God. I love that song. He's the same God because he is. And yet, we quickly revert to a 2D perspective of the world and of our own lives. I mean, we sing those songs and then all of a sudden we face something. We face some sort of opposition. We face some sort of challenge. And all of a sudden, we go back to 2D, right? And we act like our God isn't great and our God isn't glorious and our God isn't good. And we find ourselves then focusing on what we can do. We're focusing on our circumstances as if we are alone in those circumstances and we look at what we can accomplish in our weakness. And what does that lead to? It leads to worry and fear and anxiety. I know I've been there many times. But we need a theocentric framework and a theocentric lens where we have God firmly fixed in the middle of our lives, in the middle of how we see the world, in the middle of how we see our circumstances. So then our circumstances are seen in light of God's greatness and his grace. Our problems are seen through his goodness. And when that happens, it changes everything.
This week, I was uh, battling a little bit of anxiety over a situation I was dealing with. And in the middle of that situation, I was suddenly reminded of the providence of God. And I was in a conversation. I said, hey, we just need to remember the providence of God in this. And as that happened, it was like a flood of peace came over me. That the anxiety, when God came right in the center, it was like peace came over me. And then my anxiety went down. My trust in him went up. Why? Nothing changed. The only thing that changed is I was seeing it through the God that I serve and the God that, that loves me, the God that is great and good and glorious. And, and here's the thing though, how often do we, we, we believe it, but when we hit something, it's like we cast it aside and everything goes two-dimensional again. Anybody with me on this? This is why I need to saturate, as Lucas said, saturate my mind and my heart in the word of God steadily. Because it it renews that the world becomes three-dimensional again where God's at the center of it. This is why I need community like Lucas talked about. Because I need people, when they hear me talking in two dimensions, say, no, 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 no. I hear what you're saying, but there's a third dimension. We can't leave God out of the equation. We serve a God who, who... who, who is relevant. In fact, he's the most relevant factor in the equation. And if you leave that out, you're not being realistic. And I, this is why I need worship because I don't know about you, but maybe you're like me. And sometimes you tend to bring God down to where he's just a little bit bigger than you and a little bit better than you are on a good day. Anybody here with know what I'm talking about? Like your mental assumptions about God, he's, yeah, he's a little bit bigger than you and he's a little bit better than you on a good day. But when you worship, all of a sudden he's magnified and he's lifted up and now you serve a God that starts to do justice to who he really is. He's great again. He's really, really good again. He's far above you, far better than you, better than your best thoughts of him. Are you following me? And as you worship, it's like the roof lifts, your God is magnified in your heart and then you can move forward with that theocentric lens. Are you guys following what I'm saying? And this is why we have to contend for it. Uh, James K. Smith is is a philosopher at Calvin College who wrote a book, How Not to Be Secular. And he talks about how the secular worldview is trying to to flatten the world till it's just two-dimensional. But the Bible, when you're in the scriptures and you read the story of scripture, it turns the world into a three-dimensional story where God is enchanting the world, he says, right? We live in a world that's three-dimensional, that's enchanted by the presence and power of God. And yet our world's trying to crush it down to a flat world. So David steps in. And he steps into a three-dimensional world in the midst of two dimensions. In the midst of where everybody else is living in two dimensions. He's got a third dimension. So let me just ask you this question. Here's the question I would like to ask. Do you live with a theocentric lens? Do you have a theological framework that will impact the way you view your life and the world? Do you have a theological framework that impacts the way you view 
your life and the world. Let me put it this way. Are you living in 2D or 3D? Let's pick up the story again. David said to Saul, verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So here's little David. He's like, you know, no one lose heart. I'll go. (laughs) Which if you're looking in 2D is ridiculous. If you're looking in 3D makes all the sense in the world. And so uh, Saul's like, uh, you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine. He says, you're only a young man and he's been a warrior since his youth. And David says, I beg to differ. <laughs> and David goes into his resume. He shares it, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping the, his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after, I love this. I went after it, I struck it. I rescued that sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and I struck it and I killed it. I, I can see him like, yeah, that thing turned on me. I grabbed that thing by its mane and I struck it. <laughs> Anyways, I think it's... You can sense the passion of David, can't you? And then listen to what he says. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Come on. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. And then verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the paw of the Philistine. Oh, you love it? That's 3D in action. On the way here, I forgot this. I had to go back and get it. <laughs> but then when I got it, I, just, I was just driving like this, just holding it. And it was kind of emotional for me. I was just holding the jar. You know what this is? This is my mana jar. My mana jar. I just told you what it is. You're like, what's your mana jar? My mana jar is, there are things in here that are like mana from heaven for me. Like they're, This has got like the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion in it. And some of you were over my house not too long ago and I I pulled it out and I showed showed you some things. I told you some stories. It's story time, right? And this is just stuff for my family. I was thinking on my way, I need to get a mana jar for Chi Alpha. I mean, we got some some paws of bears and lions we can put in there, you know, and tell some stories. Here's the point. I mean, yeah, I don't have time to tell you the stories, but here's the point. When something happens that you're like, oh man, we live in a three-dimensional world. Like God is the ultimate relevant factor. And we put something in here that represents that, right? And it's not like we put something in every month or even every six months. Like it, I mean, it's got to like reach a threshold. You know what I'm saying? Like, then it goes in here. But this is full of stories of the faithfulness of God, of of bears and lions that have been slayed. And that's why I was holding it because sometimes I just need to remember, oh God, you slayed bears and lions. And you know what that means? He's gonna slay some more. And I can walk forward in faith with a God who's in a three-dimensional world, who's enchanting this world. I'm not on my own. He's been faithful for 23 years. He'll be faithful for 23 more. And so, yeah, I was clinging to it. This is my manager. God's done miracles. And I, I, okay, this is why I'm talking about this. 
I believe in college is a time to get some lion paws and some bear paws in your jar. Some time to step out in faith. Some time to um, maybe raise some money for a mission trip. Maybe it's, maybe a time to lead a core group and say, I'm stepping out in faith. Maybe it's a time to, uh, to, sh- to invite somebody to come with you to dinner for doubters. Maybe it's a time to go out and share your faith. Maybe it's, I, I haven't, I'm, I'm, there's a hundred different ways where you could get bear paws and lion paws in your jar where you're like, I've seen God at work. I know, because I, I'm telling you, this is what David was doing in his times of obscurity and monotony. He was out there fighting some battles where he could fight them and building his faith and the goodness and greatness of God And then he faces the uncircumcised Philistines like, who's that? And so my hope is, maybe you need to go buy yourself a jar. (laughs) Put some paws in there. You know what I'm saying? Well, I need to get going. Verse 40. Oh, so Saul says, okay, you convinced me. (laughs) Lord be with you. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag with a sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. I love, I was reading about this passage um, by Eugene Peterson, and I, let me just read you this quote. This is what Eugene says. He says, David walks down into the valley of Elah and kneels down by the stream and selects five smooth stones. The view of the two armies on each side of the valley, this young shepherd boy is knelt down with the arrogant and bullying on one side and the anxious and demoralized on the other side of the valley. David is the only one fully in touch with reality. David is not being foolish. He's in touch with reality. It says that in verse 43, that Goliath says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He says to David, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'll give, you, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And guess what? David is not phased one bit. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. And he's kind of mocking him. Ha! I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike down and cut off your head. Man, he's going for it. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. Oh, they're gonna eat, but they're gonna eat something else, Goliath. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that he is... It is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give you all into our hands. Can you hear the three dimensions of David? I mean, it's just dripping with the goodness and the glory and the greatness of God. Over and over and over. And as the Philistines move closer to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle. I can just see him. Here we go. 
to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he takes out a stone. He slung it, stuck it in the forehead of the Philistine. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell to the ground and died. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And with, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then David ran over, stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he, struck, he cut off his head with the sword. Then the Philistines saw their hero was dead. They turned and they ran. That's what a theocentric lens looks like. I want to call up the worship band. Please give me your attention for just two more minutes so while they come. This story points towards the gospel with beautiful clarity. Think about this. We all face a battle that we cannot win. A battle against sin, against death, against hell, against the powers of evil. We all need somebody to fight on our behalf. And just like David went to fight in his apparent weakness, Jesus comes forward and he says, I will go fight on your behalf. He doesn't risk his life, he gives his life in apparent weakness. But what, was, what looked like weakness on the surface, underneath the surface was actually the strength of God. It looked like weakness to man, but is actually the strength of God, 1 Corinthians 1 says. And he rose again victorious, victorious over death, over sin, over hell, and over evil. The Bible says in John, or 1 John chapter 3 that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And he rose again victorious over the powers of evil. And just like in this story, that like Israel got to walk around like they had won that battle, but they were all a bunch of cowards running in fear. But as soon as David sunk a stone in his head and cut his head off, all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, we won. And they get, the, they get to enjoy the victory as if they won the battle. So it is with Jesus that he wins the battle for us and we get to walk around like we won the battle because we are on his side. He won the battle on our behalf. And here's the reason why I close with this. Because this passage is a foreshadowing of the gospel. But if Jesus won the greatest battle you will ever face, then you can trust him and you can live bold and you can live courageous with every lesser battle and every lesser giant that you face. And so the gospel makes us courageous, makes us bold. I mean, ultimately what should be in our jar is a big wooden cross. And we just, let's go, baby. Right? So let's keep this theocentric lens. Let that lens be shaped by the gospel.
reminded of how great and how glorious and how good and how gracious God is to you through Christ Jesus. Will you stand with me? As we as we close, just have one simple question to leave you with. Do you live with a theocentric lens? A lens formed by the greatness and glory and goodness and graciousness of God. A gospel-shaped lens. A lens that brings it into three dimensions, not in two dimensions. And as you do that, what will go from, it'll go from, from being pregnant with fear to pregnant with hope and faith. And oh, how we need it. I am prone towards anxiety. I get it. But when we can, can keep God in the center, the story of the gospel in the center, it truly does change everything. Let's sing together. Oh, gracious God, will you give us 3D vision, a theocentric lens by the grace of God and the Spirit's power. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Lord, would you give us the vision that David had on that day in that valley where he could see reality as it was. Lord, help us to see reality as it is. See our circumstances as they are. To see ourselves as we are. And to see you as you are. And how all those come together. Lord, help us. We need your grace and we need your spirit to this end. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. May you have a manna jar. I want to give the benediction with a manna jar in my hand. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.